the one and only Imran Ahmed. You're very confident, quite grounded, and clearly know what you want. Have you always been that way? The, the true answer, no. At the age of three, when my mum's given me up, my dad's not around. And I've got to try and work out what this world means. But it wasn't the fact that I had all of it, all of it and then I was missing it. It was the fact that I never had it from the beginning. I could go back and I can never feel worthy enough or loved enough. And this is what I was something I was missing and I was looking for, a manual for who I am. And luckily for me, I know people provided me that. If I say forgiveness, um, I'd be lying. And I don't think it required forgiveness. I think it just required hope that things will become better. Welcome to Inspire By, the show that brings you inspiring stories from inspiring entrepreneurs with a twist. Now, I believe that every successful entrepreneur and celebrity on this planet has an inspiring story, and they have stories that they haven't yet told. Not because they don't want to tell the story, but because they haven't been asked the right questions. So my job on the show is to ask the real questions so that you get the real answers. Now, with that in mind, let's get started. Welcome back to Inspired By, the podcast where we're going to be sharing with you inspiring stories from inspiring entrepreneurs just like you. Now today, I'm very excited to welcome a guest to the show who I've had the pleasure of working with for quite a bit of time. He is not only an NLP trainer, he is the founder of Emotional Change Therapy and an incredible international speaker. Today, we are due to be inspired by the one and only Imran Ahmed. Imran, welcome to the show. Hello. It's good to finally have you here. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm good, thank you. I'm. Uh, it's a privilege to be here, Chloe. It's been a while. I know you've been. we've been meaning to do this, yeah. but it's a privilege to be here, so thank you. No problem. Well, obviously, a bit of background on the show. Many people watch the show and come to the show like yourself as guests and think we're going to talk about business and entrepreneurship. Now, whilst we are both successful entrepreneurs, that's actually not what you've been brought here today. Today, we're going to be talking about your story and mm. a little bit about why you are the way you are. So you come across as very confident for any of our viewers or our listeners that have come across you before. You're very confident, quite grounded and clearly know what you want. So my first question for you, Imran, is have you always been that way? Um, the, the, the true answer, no, um, the complete opposite, mm. um, introvert, um, doubting myself constantly, listening to other people, letting them dictate the story of my life. Uh, so that's always been the case in the past, but that took, that, that suddenly took a shift when I woke up to the reality of what we are as human beings and what we're capable of. Mm. And that started when I was very young. You know, I've, I've mentioned my story before and I'll tell you elements of it because it's key in the journey of who I am and how I get to be here and speak to you. Because for me at the age of three, when my parents, I realized at this point, I don't have a set of parents. My mum's given me up. My dad's not around. And I've got to try and work out what this world means. Who the hell am I? What is going on around me? How am I so different? Why am I different? I wasn't unique. I wasn't special. That's for sure. I know different, but different in a negative sense and a negative term. Then I realized that throughout my culture and the culture I was brought up in in High Wycombe was um, being Muslim, being Pakistani, being cultural. I realized that had elements to it as well because nobody's family left them at such a young age. Mm -hmm. So then you are tarred with another brush of not being wanted. So going back to being a kid, you realize that most human beings, their deepest fear is not being loved and not being enough. They're the the fears that we are born with, they're more more the spiritual fears of if in this life we are not loved and in this life we are not enough, then life goes becomes chaotic. 
all sorts of things happen where we lose value for ourselves, but there's a hell of a lot of trauma that's associated to that too. So I grew up wearing these masks, not knowing that I wasn't worthy because if I didn't feel worthy, I'd do something funny to be worthy. Um, if I felt that I wasn't being loved, I would pretend that I did have love. So I'd make up all these things and wear these masks. Um, so as I went through life, so many different parts of life taught me that I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing. I shouldn't be being who I'm being. I shouldn't be, I should stay in my own lane. And I sort of kept pushing the boundaries. And I know what I'm like. I just kept pushing back, kept pushing back. And I got involved in all sorts of trouble, fights um, with gangs, issues, emotional challenges, relationships I shouldn't have been in. All of these things started happening. And it was only when I finally left um, High Wycombe, I moved out to Southampton with my real parents. Um, they came back in my life at this age. And going from being in care to now being with them, I felt that life gave me another ticket to life. So things became quite normalised. <clears throat> However, as soon as I moved into their area, which was Southampton, in a council estate, quickly enough, um, the drug crack got introduced. And then they were addicted to that for the next five years. And I'm left with a six-month-old baby to look after. So me, me and um, my siblings had a six-month-old sister to look after. And we had to do anything we could to try and find a way through to get her better and make us functional, at least as, an, as a family, because these guys were gone. So then I took to the streets because there was no money, there was no help, there was nobody. So going on the streets, you know, hustling, making your money, thieving, doing all sorts of things. And that develops into, you know, stealing cars, stealing car stereos, stealing accessories, selling these things, going on the high street. Again, just doing everything that you can to be as resourceful as you can in the situation you're in. Now, to try and find a way. Now, after a couple of years, my younger brother and sister were taken into care. So it was just me. And I thought, okay, now it's time to get some schooling. I go to school and now the color of my skin is a problem because the school I'm in, there's very few people that are brown. I ain't even that brown as well, right? <laughs> I used to look at myself in the mirror and think, well, we ain't that far in terms of shades. I don't know what's going on here. So another level of confusion in my life. Um, but I swear to you, I think at this stage, I was 13, 14, and I think by this point, I thought, well, what is life meant to me so far? What has life been about? Not much. So if there's that little meaning, then this gives me something worth fighting for. And if I have to lose my life in this, so be it. Because losing my life gave me more meaning than living. That was interesting because I was ready to lose it all because I was standing on principle. And that principle was, listen, if if I if I lay, lay down here and you go and target someone else, that person you're going to target is probably going to be way weaker than me. But if I can stand up to you, you probably won't get to that person. And that's exactly what happened. They were in year 11, I was in year eight. Big difference in size, big difference in um, uh, abilities as well. But every day I was involved in fights, every day. And do you know what? I said, I said, it gives me a purpose. So I started boxing, I started training, I started doing all of this just so I could actually become better skilled at the art of fighting. And I was so much better skilled and I was so much more involved. And on the back of that, you think about it, these things had to have happened for a reason because on the back of that, then I leave school, I get expelled because I didn't go schooling after year eight. So there was nothing left really, SATs, GCSEs all gone. I didn't have the opportunities. But what I did do is I started doing door work. So on the back of all that fighting came, okay, well, I'm capable, I'm confident. So I started doing door work at a very early age. I, you know, I knew people on the street, so I found a way of getting myself a license early on. Uh, and that built my confidence even more. So it went from sort of strength to strength, even though things weren't great. Mm. 
but I found belief in myself throughout the unworthiness, throughout the being unloved. I found I found situations in myself and a belief in myself which was far greater than any of the experiences that had happened or anything that I'd, had was ever done to me. So it really did give me a grounding and say, well, if this is possible, if this is achievable, what else is out there? And that's it. Continued from there. So wow. that was a, it's really interesting. Like it's, it's just watching it from where it goes back. And I'm summarizing, of course, mm-hmm. but looking how it began to where it is today, um, there are no coincidences mm-hmm. in life. That was planned. It needed to happen to do what, what we do today. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. F- fascinating story, Imran. And I think the one thing I find really insightful mm-hmm. about what you've shared there is just going back down to the, right at the beginning, the feeling of not feeling loved meant you wanted to pretend you had love or crave love the feeling of not feeling worthy made you want to prove that you were worthy Mm. so back at that time when you know you were three years old what can you remember from that need to feel loved or need to need to feel worthy or is that something you've learned looking back now in hindsight that was something that came up yeah it was definitely something I'd look back at in hindsight because it was one of my earliest memories so if I can go back and I trace back because you can't remember much at the age of one or two right Mm even three, but I do, I, I traced it back through all the work that we've done and I've gone back and gone to my earliest memory and realized where this came from. But it wasn't the fact that I had all of it, all of it, and then I was missing it. It was the fact that I never had it from the beginning. I could go back and I could never feel worthy enough or loved enough because it was never there. It wasn't as if I had it and it got taken away from me. So then what do you do when you're not that? Well, then you try and be worthy. Well, who do you have to be to be worthy? Well, you have to be popular sometimes. You've got to be liked. And then you fall into the trap of sometimes being a pleaser. This, mm-hmm. These are the patterns you work out. These are the patterns that we adopt, not realizing that life pushes us into behaving this way. Not being loved. Well, you don't want to tell the world that, but you know you have a feeling inside of you that you're not loved enough and your tank of love isn't full. It's not It's mm-hmm. not even close to half. No way. It's just above the bottom. And you're thinking, well, there is a little bit of love. But then what do you do to receive love? Well, if I'm nice to you and then you're nice to me, maybe I'll feel I'm loved. Well, then you also then produce a pattern of a pleaser Mm. because you're doing it for a transactional reason. You're not doing it because you want unconditional love from someone else or you want to give someone unconditional love. Um, And then as the story goes, I find that as as you get older and you wear these masks of worthiness, of, well, lack of worthiness and pretending you're worthy, you do also... Because for me, it worked this way. You do also do things that you feel that are going to give you love instead. So you may go and do something out of character. You may go and do something that you wouldn't normally do just to go and get love from people. So my whole thing, as I've looked back in hindsight, realizing the pleaser turned up because all that pleaser wanted was to feel worthy and to feel loved. And that's all people really need. I think you can, if you can do that, and I realize in this life, now at this age, if you can make people worthy, feel worthy and remind them of their worth, give them the love that they deserve, those people will be with you for life. Like, because you actually can. It comes from a genuine place, not manufactured, not manipulated. It comes from a genuine place because you see their worth. Most people don't see their worth inside themselves. There's many a time with you, Chloe, I've said to you, oh my God, you're an amazing speaker, right? The first thing I recognized in you was your speaking ability, but not just that, your ability to connect with people. And that's something that you recognize because you see something great in someone and you feel that they're not just worthy because they're a speaker, they're worthy because they're they're way more than just a speaker. Mm. They're a human being that likes to connect. So if I can give you that nugget as a member of the audience, 
that then goes to 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 show how much you can capitalize on that worthiness that maybe you had forgotten or not realized. Um, so it's a case of actually once you find it, you start spotting it in other people, and you want to tell them because they they sometimes don't feel worthy. We all go through these phases, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's, it's like. A- Now, I just wanted to quickly interrupt this episode to share a quick message with you. Now, I've been hosting these interviews with Inspired by Show for a while now, and I've been loving all of the great feedback from our listeners. And it really means a lot when you will share from listening to these episodes, watching these episodes, share your incredible feedback. And I love that you love it as much as we do. Now, my mission for the Inspired by Show is to inspire others to challenge the norm, share their story, knowing that it's okay to be vulnerable and shock horror, take the mask off and be raw and real. So I have a favor to ask. Can you help me on this mission by sharing this episode with someone who you think needs to hear this message? Maybe there's a friend, a loved one, a colleague, or someone that you know that would really benefit from hearing this inspiring story. If you could do that to help us help even more people to challenge the norm and push themselves out of their own comfort zone, then I'd really appreciate it. So if you haven't already, share this episode with a friend, a loved one, a colleague, or someone that you know would benefit. Now back to the episode. It's like we have a label that we've given ourselves. You know, if we're insecure about something, we start noticing it on other people. You know, it's like when um, when women are pregnant, they often start to notice other people being pregnant. Yeah. Or, you know, it, it's just one of these things with our reticular activating system. Now, you mentioned there about if we've noticed that we didn't feel loved and therefore we want to give more love. What can we do to spot that in other people? Because a lot of people, we're not aware of it. A lot of the time we don't know. And parents particularly go, well, how? Do, am I giving my child enough love? Mm. Am I not? Mm. So if we spot it in other people or how, how can we spot that in other people and how can we help people by feeling the love and giving them that un- unconditional love? I think if you, I think if you always start from the right intention and, mm. and one thing I've learned in my years is that if you lead with love, you'll always be on the right path. And, and what I mean by that is it has to come from a genuine place. And I see that in other people. I see so many people struggling and suffering, and sometimes they won't wear that mask of struggling and suffering. They'll wear the mask of "I'm okay, everything is fine," right? And and I see it all the time. But the moment I ask them a question, and I literally just ask them a question: "Are you happy? Just tell me how happy you are. Tell me what's really going on." And that's it. The mask comes off. It's, it slips. There's no other way. You can't pretend. And what I normally do is, and I do get accused of this quite regularly, but I do it. Um, men, women that come into my life, I will hug them. I'm very affectionate, kinesthetically. If I can show you love just by putting an arm around you, just by touching you on your shoulder, on your back, um, just by looking at you and saying, you know, just giving you a few words. If I can do that, that creates the opening mm-hmm. of maybe you coming and saying, well, I can trust this person or I, can, or I feel like I can lean on this person now and then. And what I find is normally I'll create that opening, which is, you know, Tell someone what I really do feel about them. Tell someone what I really see in them. When I create that opening, sometimes I find that they will then come to me. Most of the time, they will come back to me and they will trust me. Mm. And that's key. If they can trust you, because a lot of the time, the, the, the lack of worthiness has come from a wound. And what is that wound? That wound has been shaped by the past and the wound has been then reinforced over and over again. And suddenly you come across to a person who is not actually interested in your wound, who's just interested in who you are today. Don't care about your past. Don't even care about where you're going. It's who you are today in the present. If I can give you worth for that, if I can give you love for who you are, that is a very rare thing that people do this day Mm. because people want transactional relationships. Everything is transactional. You give me some of this and I'll give you some of that. Mm. If I can unconditionally love you, 
just for who you are. It doesn't matter what you give and don't give. Just for who you are and, and maybe some of the stuff you've experienced up until today. That's all that matters for so many people. Like it does. It just it's that one shift that I've learned throughout my years of training people that I will love you before I try and teach you anything. And once I love you, I can teach you anything. Because you know that teaching is going to come from a pure intention and a pure direction. And that's going to be something that's always going to serve you. So it always works. It does. And the thing I love the most about that is people's reaction to it. Because I remember when we first met and we used to have a joke because I'm I'm a hugger. I, I'm like, don't shake my hands. Just give me a hug. That's yeah. just my energy. And you're the same. And I remember when we first started working together, people would say things like, oh, Imran's flirting with me loads. Or, you know, or, or and yeah. we used to, I used to make a joke, stop flirting with me because, and it was never flirting. It was just kindness and love. Yeah. And I find it interesting how people struggle to receive love. Yeah. When you go to hug them, they're like, oh, oh, I didn't, wasn't expecting that yet. Or, you know, Imran goes to hug them and they're like, oh, Imran's very flirty with me. That's actually just because people aren't ready to receive no. from what I've experienced. And I was one of those people that used to struggle to receive love from my own childhood and I think a lot of the things that people need to realize is to start unpacking what's on the surface now to have these breakthroughs now you've obviously had lots of breakthroughs in your life even going back in run just just the first 14 years of what you just shared is mm -hmm. is so so inspirational so in that moment when you mentioned that your parents came back into your life that was clearly a a life-changing moment for you and there were probably lots of patterns that shifted and changed in that and the way I would reflect on that is also the element of forgiving them to bring them back into your life so tell us a little bit more about your experience in that and and the forgiveness to get your family back together yeah um interesting question it's a good one actually <laughs> uh I, I you know what if I say forgiveness um I'd be lying because I think just the fact that there was a ticket out of this system where you were in a, in a care system, essentially, to a normal life. Mm. Something perceived normal uh, initially. And I don't think it required forgiveness. I think it just required hope that things will become better, mm. that you can be normalized again. You can be... Because I used to pretend to my... All the preceding years, I'd pretended that my mum and dad were at home, but they just weren't around. They never came and picked me up. They were never there at mm. Parents' Day. Uh, because they were busy, they were never. We never went on holiday because um, they had been out of the country or they were on business. There were different things. Mm -hmm. So f to finally uh, not having to lie anymore and to bring the pieces of the puzzle together and actually complete that puzzle, I felt this was the no-brainer approach. That you have a younger brother, you have a you didn't have a younger sister at this point, but you had a stepbrother who was younger, had mum, had a stepdad at this point. So I think it was only the natural thing to go and do what is required of you mm. at this point and go back with your family. But then you soon realize that this isn't really your family because if they cared for you, they wouldn't do the very things that were done. And that was being in the type of schools you were in, being in the environments you were being on the streets, uh, you know, but being on the streets at the age of 10, 11, uh, until midnight, way beyond that, in one of the most worst places that you can grow up in. Um, and just being being available to go out any time of the day that you wanted to and do whatever you wanted. And that didn't require forgiveness. It required questioning as to what is going on in my life. Mm. What happened was as we moved on and my sister was, uh, was, was, was born and she came around and then it required more of a force from me to actually go out there and do something. So I just get super resourceful. But then there was some finger pointing. Why am I doing this at this age? Why am I a father at this age? Why does it feel like 
the burdens on me at this age? Why am I going through so much stress at this age? Why is there no electricity at this age? And I have to go and figure out who's going to help or how we're going to get this money for electricity. Um, why am I having to steal her milk at this age? Again, I was arrested over and over again. And every time they'd ask me in the police station, why are you doing this? And I'm like, well, if I don't do it, who is going to? If I don't provide the food, who is going to? If I don't go out and get the money, who is going to? Um, and it was, it, do you know what? Just looking back, it was, they would come to me and this would, you know, my parents would walk in to the police station because they'll need someone to take care of you as a guardian. But they would also look at me in shame, as in, how did you do this? And I'm looking at them thinking, who are you to even look at me in that way? So the forgiveness was very short-lived. But it's interesting that you ask for forgiveness, actually, because when I grew up and I got to 16, 17, and I got beyond that, I then I then found these books that I started reading and I started looking at what really defines your purpose, what paves your path. And I looked at my past and I looked at the path and I looked at how it was paved and I looked at the future and I said, I don't want it paved in the same way, but what is paving this path? Something is. Because one technique that took me away from everything that happened in the past was effective blaming. Now that's a fa that that's blaming those people for everything that had happened to you and what they'd done to you in an effective way. If you didn't leave me, I wouldn't become the person that I was. Mm -hmm. If you didn't put me through that position, I wouldn't have understood what love is. If you didn't allow me to suffer, I wouldn't understand what it is, what it feels like to heal. If I wasn't broken, I don't know what it means to be fixed. If I didn't go to that those depths of despair, I could never take anyone out of those depths of despair that are in them now. Mm -hmm. So there was a purpose to everything. It started. I started realizing that if I blamed effectively, I've got to blame them for the good as much as the bad. Mm -hmm. And the good that came out, which was defining who I am today, based on what they put me through. If they didn't put me through all of that, I don't think we'll be having this conversation, wow. genuinely. So it's interesting. And that's, that comes from a true place of forgiveness. Like... Yeah. I love you, I thank you, and I forgive you for putting me through all of that. That's so, so beautiful, Imran. And it's almost where it goes from forgiveness to almost gratitude towards absolutely. it. And, you know, you're never gonna, we're never going to look back and go, I'm so grateful for my parents being like that because we won't know what it would have been like if they weren't like that. You know, there's always, there's many different sides to the story. Yeah. But I find it fascinating that the forgiveness is the starting point or the hope, then the forgiveness, then the gratitude. Yeah. And like you say, the effective blame. And that's a really beautiful way of looking at it because a lot of people, especially people that we're, we see at our events and our trainings, they are in blame. They're in blame, which I would go as far as saying victim mode. Yeah. Now, where you've obviously had many breakthroughs yourself and going through this journey, you mentioned there about starting this new path and doing research and reading books. And I know you've worked with some of the greats in mm. a lot of this. You've been through a lot of transformations. Who would you say has supported you the most? Have there been any mentors or coaches or even trainers that have inspired you on this journey to create this new path? Yeah, yeah, there's been many. There's been so many. Um, <clears throat> if, I can be, if I can be honest, my first, my first mentor was uh, Martin Luther King, unconsciously. <laughs> and Muhammad Ali, unconsciously. And these were these were people because remember, without schooling, you have no way of learning further than that. We didn't have the the type of uh, technical information we have now. We can jump on YouTube and learn something. So without schooling, you had no other way. So I've because I was pretty proficient at thieving. I thieved a few books at this point, <laughs> and luckily I got my hands on uh, Helen Keller, um, and Martin Luther King, and Muhammad Ali, and there was a couple of others at this point. 
But they were the starting point of that mentorship. They were the starting point of something greater. They were the starting point of no matter how bad your situation is, your situation can change if you're willing to change it. No matter what's happening in your environment, uh, that thing is not being done to you. That is happening around you but not being done to you. What do you do with it? So I started hearing these stories of standing in the face of adversity. And I started listening and taking heed of the message that was there because my problems were, in, you couldn't compare them with the challenges they were going through at that time with the civil rights movement in the US at that point. So my problems were very, very minuscule, very, very um, in, inconceivable and comprehensible compared to what they had to go through. So they were my initial mentors because I thought, okay, you're guiding me. Wow. And as I got, as I went through my journey, my next mentor after that had to be um, Tony Robbins. And he's someone that he wasn't well known back then, but I was in India at this point and someone introduced me to one of his books and I read notes from a friend. And I thought, okay, this is interesting. Who is this guy? So he's got the short book. I started re reading his book and I you took heed of what he said. Then I got... Um, Awaken the Giant Within and Unlimited Power, I started reading these books. And I thought, wow, he's speaking truth to power. He's speaking to me about the things I really want to be learning and doing for other people. So Tony was probably the most, the biggest, had the biggest impact out of all my mentors that I've had because Tony spoke to me in a way that made, made me feel worthy or made me feel loved or made me feel I wasn't broken. And he didn't just talk to me. He gave me strategies to help other people get through it as well. So this is what I was doing with his books. This is my early days of NLP. I started looking at his books, taking strategies, writing them down. I've still got cue cards today of writing these strategies wow. down because I used to be around people and they always had problems. And I used to walk them through these processes very early on. I remember doing this step one, step two, step three, and walking through it, not knowing the next step, but saying, hey, I'm going to try something. I'm going to get rid of a phobia. I'm going to get rid of a problem. I'm going to try and help you get beyond this. What is a limiting belief you're holding right now that is stopping you from achieving the very thing that you want? So all of these amazing things came around as a result of reading these books and then having a mentor that was guiding me from a young age. And of course, many mentors after that, but I think Tony, Tony set the standard for what a mentor should be. And it's not as if we got, I got personally one-to-one -one mentored by him, but it was the mentorship that his uh, influence gave me. Mm. That was key. That yeah. was superb because I could see the profound effects and shifts that that would have. And they did. Going from event to event, um, after doing his event, I wanted to learn from who taught Tony. And then I went and traced back John Rinder. I started working with him, learning from him, and realized that John has so much to give the world. Tony's packaged this stuff up, but Tony's, John's a great mentor. And John's still one of Tony's top three mentors, so that means something. So these great, um, these great pioneers of change, human change, human development, who really care about delivering a difference for people. And I think I found, unconsciously, I found some of them implanting seeds inside me of principle, of matter, of integrity, of trust, of loyalty, of doing, no matter how long it takes, doing the thing that creates a breakthrough for someone else. Mm -hmm. To stay in an intervention for three or four hours, not having a break, not having a drink of water, just being in there with just presently, just doing what it takes to get someone through what their biggest, worst, darkest secrets that they need to reveal or their, or their greatest traumas. Um, and really that, that, that word about integrity, like really standing for what you, really believing in what you stand for and actually delivering what you stand for. Because listen, I know so many people that I felt were mentors that were not mentors at all. Initially, they came as a guise of a mentor, but they were 
destructive, essentially. So you're going to come across so many mentors. And I know people could come to me and say, hey, is this the right mentor for me? There are good mentors. And there are people that are going to take you down the wrong path, their path. Mm -hmm. If that mentor has your best interest at heart and has the integrity and trust to find the right path for you and carve that with you, I think that's a great mentor. But someone who's actually walked the path and come down a few times rather than someone who claims they've been down the path, mm. that's a great mentor. And who better to be guided by by the likes of Tony Robbins and John Grinder, who have created so much change in human beings mm. that I can only be in awe of what they do and then say, hey, one day I'm going to learn this stuff. And that's it. It just set the the motions of, I need to learn this stuff. I have to. If this stuff is that powerful and these guys deliver that much of a difference, I have to learn this stuff because I've seen too many people that deliver it in the wrong way mm. and too many people that are not there serving with this stuff and rather they're there trying to manipulate people with this sort of stuff. Mm. So that really laid the groundwork for me. Fantastic. Yeah. Now, I'm a massive believer, Imran, that in every one of us, there's potential for greatness. I don't, yeah. think, I don't think you're born with it. I think you create it. That's one of my beliefs. And you've been around some of the greats, like you mentioned, John Grinder, Tony Robbins. What What's your views on that? And do you see similarities between some of the great mentors and the great leaders of our time and past times versus the people that maybe have the potential but don't actually get the result? Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, and it's a great question because if you go back to the beginning of John Grinder or Tony Robbins, who were they? They were just very normal human beings that were going through their own set of challenges. I mean, NLP in its sense has been born from trauma from Richard Banner, John Grinder, and Frank Puselik, from the traumas that they faced. You know, Frank was a marksman in the Vietnam War, from the traumas that he faced, and he came back with Richard Bandler's upbringing, but was very traumatic, the traumas that they faced. They came together and formulated something on the back of gestalt therapy that was based on dealing with trauma. Now, they didn't know there was greatness in there, but they found greatness because they were on a path which had a purpose way greater than them. It wasn't, let me just heal me. How do I help other people heal themselves too? And this is why a John Grinder, a Tony Robbins, uh, a Richard Bandler, Frank Puslik, whoever it may be, even a Muhammad Ali uh, and a Martin Luther King, they did not, they weren't born with greatness. Uh, they were not born with greatness. They were born with the ability and a purpose for their life. Now, if they had blinded themselves away from their purpose, what was designed for them, they wouldn't have achieved greatness. The fact that they tapped into something, the fact that they tapped into a deeper power, a more aligned power, something that they knew that this was their path, mm. that's what gave them that greatness. So greatness is only magnified when you're on the path of your purpose. Otherwise, you don't achieve greatness. Greatness is only experienced when you're actually in line with who you are and what you want to achieve. Greatness is one of those things that when you have gratitude for life, for where it's brought you to today, and you can look back at all the pain and be grateful for that, that's when greatness comes in too. Because it says, well, you're great enough to achieve a position where you can be grateful for everything that's happened because you're guided. And gratefulness does come from a guidance too. Most of my life I've been guided. That stuff couldn't have happened. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have been here today if it wasn't for that level of guidance, uh, the level of me being guided. But it's the greatness that you achieve from the guidance too. Mm -hmm. So there's a number of different things that as you can see that play in play their part here. But greatness is something that we all cannot deny. Each and every one of us has it. We deny it all our lives. We think other people are way greater than we are because let's be honest, you said it earlier, that most of us don't don't take 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 compliments very well. We don't receive gifts very well. Why? Because most of us have a lack of self-worth. Mm. 
And when they talk about esteem, a lack of esteem, self-esteem, what is esteem? Esteem for self. The definition, what is your esteem for yourself? If you are empty and someone gives you something, most of the time you reject it and push it back because you say, hey, I don't deserve this. Well, why not? Well, if someone pays you a compliment and sometimes you say, hey, that wasn't me, that was something else. Hey, maybe it's just my hair straightener this morning. Maybe it's just the type of clothes I'm wearing. So you push the compliment back, but why not accept it instead? We're so used to pushing things back and reflecting, dejecting, rejecting them instead of receiving them. Sometimes you just got to say, you know what? I am great. I'm great because I had to go through that. And you know what? If I stand in my greatness, more greatness will come to me. But if I deny my greatness, I'm really denying the path of my life. It really is that true. Like greatness will only come to you when you can step in your power and be grateful for everything that you've been through. But we need to wake up to it because everyone has it. That's one of the things that I I remember when we first started working together, I noticed a lot of myself struggling to receive compliments. You know, I'd walk off the stage from a big event and people would be saying, oh my God, Chloe, you're amazing. And I'm like, oh, thanks. Or they'd be saying things like, um, oh, I love shoe, what your shoes you're wearing. And I'd turn around and go, oh, your shoes look great too. Yeah. And then afterwards I'm like, why am I complimenting their yeah. shoes? And I, I'd done a lot of work on myself to actually understand that and actually allow and receive that compliments because that is a form of love. You know, we come back to the topic of love again. A lot of us struggle to receive love, like you've mentioned. And, and sometimes it's the smallest thing. Yeah of love that we're struggling to receive. And we talked about NLP. So we have a lot of guests on our show that are neuro-linguistic programming experts. You are clearly one of them. So just for any of our viewers or listeners, tell us a little bit about NLP and how it fits into your journey and now how you're using it. Yeah, yeah. NLP has been interesting because it was one of the one of the first ways that I started understanding myself. Most people need a manual for the mind. We w- I would love it if we were taught in school, this is how we function. Forget about everything else, all the other subjects we talk about in school or we're taught, I would love to have learned who are you as a person? What is your place? What are your emotions? What are the facets or the patterns that you have built up in your life? What are some of the beliefs that you carry? What are some of the limitations that you hold? What are the, some of the strengths that you have? And and this is what I was something I was missing and I was looking for, a manual for who I am. And luckily for me, NLP provided me that. Again, through this journey of having these mentors and having these guides and going through these this type of learning. And the great thing is I had no formal education. So my education came through what I learned, which was interesting enough anyway, because I didn't have to put it on top of what I'd already learned. It, it, just, it just filled what, that void inside of me. So once I started learning NLP, which is Neuro Linguistic Programming, again, it was it was created by these three experts, John Grinder, Richard Bandler, and Frank Puslik. But it was it was co-organized and developed on the back of Milton Erickson, Virginia Satir, Gregory Bateson, and uh, Fritz Perls. And these were the greatest when it comes to Ericksonian hypnotherapy, family therapy, gestalt therapy. Actually, the only therapies were out back then, and not many people were involved in therapies. So when you start looking at, well, the source of this information is so great, has such profound results. What I'm going to receive is going to be worthy. I started looking into these books, started getting involved. I went to the Ibis Hotel in Earl's Court, um, and I did a course with Richard Bandler back then, Paul McKenna, John um, John Laval, um, Michael Neal, and it was they had snakes and spiders and all these things at the back of the room, and they were just clearing traumas. I did my NLP practitioner. Um, I finished up and I remember holding a snake, holding a, tr- um, a tarantula on my hand. I was really scared of spiders, but I'm holding this tarantula. I'm thinking, wow, this stuff must work because I've just done a 10 minute process on a fast phobia. And now I'm here holding a tarantula. 
it's got to work. I've got to tell other people about it. So then I started telling other people. After that, that was experience with Richard Bandler. I wanted to experience John Grinder because I heard so much about him. And through my Tony Robbins experiences, I wanted to experience who he was, who he was. And that's when New Code NLP came about. He had developed New Code NLP, which is based more on the unconscious mind. Start looking at what is it the unconscious mind can do? How can we change that? How can we play these games now? There's these New Code NLP games that we can get involved in. That if you play the game, you can be back in a situation, not even realize you're having therapy and your life can change. It's really interesting because you run these things called parallel processing, unconscious patterns that come out and they defy all the process that happens through these patterns of trauma. So that's, I started learning all of that and that's deploying these patterns on people, catch anyone in the street. Yeah, what's your problem? What's your problem? What's your problem? Right, let me deal with you. Let me give you a process. And it was brilliant because a lot of people bite their nails or they're doing consistent behavior. So I run a pattern on them very quickly. I say, just give me five minutes. I'll run this very quickly. They'll come back to me a week later because they're walking the streets. I may not see them and say, hey, I haven't bitten my nails for a week. And I'll be like, wow. Then they come back six months later and say, I'll see them again. Yep, still got fine nails, no problem. I've got rid of that fear. I've got rid of <clears throat> the trauma of the fireworks or the dog barking at me. You know, I've got rid of all of these fears and addictions and phobias. What have you done? And I'm like, well, I didn't believe it at the beginning. So <clears throat> as time went on, I had to start believing in this stuff because it was too powerful not to. And I started seeing profound effects in people, like massive effects in their behaviors, in who they became. And that's when I thought, okay, something needs to shift because what's happening in the NLP world is <clears throat> everything is everything starts and finishes in the mind, the, the conscious or unconscious mind. The body has a big part to play, but there is nothing related to the heart. And through the work that I've done, I felt the most change has come as a result of a change in the heart. A, a change in the state of the heart creates a change in the entirety of my mind and what I believe. I can have a limitation in my mind, but the moment you get me to access my heart and I'm, and I'm functioning at the level of spirit or soul, I'm way beyond the mind, which means the problem that the mind brings in is not even relevant anymore. And, and you know, John Grinder said this many years ago, and, and so did Einstein, who said, um, you cannot deal with the same problem as the level of consciousness that created it. So you have to raise a level higher. And when you tap into the heart, I felt you raise a level higher of consciousness and elevation. When you tap into the spirit or soul, you'd raise many levels higher. And you're thinking these problems don't exist at that when you tap into someone different. So NLP for me was a great point. And I still use it today to clear many people's challenges in the mind. But if you want to know the truth of where someone's going, who they are, who they really are, they call, it's the, the access of the heart that makes that difference. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've been able to cultivate, develop and utilize. I mean, there is groundbreaking science now on the power of the heart, the, the mini brain that we have in the heart. The, um, it's, it's fine, these sensory neurites that we have in the heart, this neural network that within our heart. So memory is stored now in two places, not just the mind, the heart too. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so... <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of the clearing happens in the mind. And we, we've started doing things solely in the mind, but we haven't tapped into the heart. Mm. And when we go to the heart, we go to the soul. And when you go to the soul, you are tapping into a force much greater, much stronger, much more powerful than the mind can even conceive. And this is why when people come to now and they do an event with me, most of the processing is through the heart. Mm. There are some elements of the mind. We're going to start off the first couple of days and normally on the mind, let's, 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 Let's put you in a place where you're comfortable with, because you're comfortable with the mind. I want to take you there. But now as the days go on, we're going to elevate. 
And as we elevate, we're going to break all the patterns of the past that you don't that no longer serve you, but we're going to keep you in a place that is going to elevate your mind, body, and spirit. And if you can tap into that place, you don't need any therapy because that place doesn't need therapy. Again, a lot of people believe that this life is a permanent life and that's everything that we're given this life and everything ends after this. You know, problems are, are, are temporary. Most people run around thinking problems are permanent. Problems are temporary. The only thing that's permanent in this world is our soul, is our spirit. Mm. The only thing that we're guaranteed in this life is death. And the only thing that we know about death, even this body, is temporary. But spirit can get beyond anything. And once we mm. tapped into that, I felt, beyond NLP, I felt that it gave NLP enhanced as a result of actually tapping into something different. Mm. So it really was a journey of going through it myself, of understanding what healed me, understanding what works best for other people, and then saying, well, we don't just have to use one component. We can use multitude of components to tap into every area to elevate your mind, body, and spirit to take you to a place where you don't question yourself anymore the way the small mind, the reptilian brain used to question you. And Chloe, the, the mind isn't designed to keep us happy. It's designed to keep us safe, right? Mm -hmm. You know this. So we always rely on the mind when the mind is actually taking us back into limitation. But if we want to get out of limitation, we've got to get beyond the mind. Because the mind, as they say, is limitless if we want it to be limitless. It can go as far as we want to take it. But it also requires the aid of the heart and soul to take you there. Yeah. Without that, it's not aligned. And it really isn't. Imran, what would you say to anyone? Because we're talking about limits and being limitless. And I've been on such a journey around you and with some incredible, incredible entrepreneurs in this space over the last sort of 10 years. If you'd have said to me 10 years ago, that I'm limitless and I need to connect my spirit and my soul, I probably would have laughed. Yep. And that's just me being honest. Because yep. that's where that was where my headspace was at. That was my environment. I was, you know, an accountant in a or a director of an accountancy firm by the end. So I wasn't into the woo-woo, as we call it now. So for anyone that is maybe they're listening to this or watching this going, that's all well and good but I feel like I'm so far away from that mm. or feel like there there are limits around them that, and they feel are not in their control, yeah. done intentionally. Yeah. What would you say or what advice would you give to those people feeling like that right now? I think, you see, most people's problems come from thinking. And if you're gonna, if you're gonna use the same, very same source that caused the problems in the first place to try and get you out of the problems you're deluded all right you're just going to you continuously create more patterns of confusion and mm -hmm. chaos so unless you if you stay in the mind and the mind is the very thing that caused you that problem people ask me well how is it different well i say well the world is what you think but there's a world that exists beyond your thinking but to access that world you have to access a different way of thinking and it's not even thinking sometimes, it's just being. Sometimes just being mm. makes you feel that I don't need to access the mind to just be. Now, if you look at spirit and soul, the reason we do meditation, the reason we go in inwardly, the, re the reason we introspect is to actually fill ourselves up, mm. actually fill our own tank up. If we just focus on the mind, the mind isn't going to fill us up because the mind's going to tell us everything that's missing. Um, loss less never those are the three things that keep people stuck things that we're going to lose oh my god there's these things around us we're going to lose so we've got to have create scarcity and stay stuck with them i'm going to have less of something and someone's going to have more of them comparisons they don't work never mm. never will i be able to to do this never be able to do that 
most people focus on what's missing, what, not what's already there. What they haven't got, not what they have got. And this is the design of the mind. This is the formation of the mind. So if the mind was formed in the real great way, if we were all monks on a mountain and the mind was cultivated in the way that it should have been, I don't think we would be having this conversation. But the fact is that the mind has been formed into creating, uh, keeping us in suffering and keeping us in fear. Why? Well, you can control people that are in fear. When they're in their soul and spirit, they're uncontrollable because nothing controls them. Like I said, it's it's a liberation and freedom of that space that provides you with the options and the leadership to say, I don't really care anymore because I know the truth. I feel the truth. No one needs to tell me. I don't need external validation from the outside world, nor do I need instant gratification for this. This is me being clear that I know there's a different part of me I can access. Now, how do I do it? If I am in that space where I'm thinking, well, what is this stuff called the spirit and the soul? Because some people do. I say the same thing. If you said to me, you have a spirit, you have a soul, you have all of these things, I would have said, well, I have a mind, I have a body. That's all I'm aware of. But throughout my studies, even in NLP, I look at NLP and I go back and I say, hey, they have taken this. The NLP has been developed. I get it. But the source of it comes way be way before NLP. Mm. And again, it does tap into the mind and the body and the spirit. Yeah. It does. And you take the spirit of it all, the spirit of NLP, and then throughout the entire study, I realized, well, there's way more to this than just tools. Mm. This is a holistic way of treating people with love, with integrity, with honesty. But more importantly, giving them a, a, a basis and a tap into and a touch into the source of who they are. And if they can get that, they don't need any help after this, then you can just let them go and continue their path. Yeah. So if anyone's listening, it genuinely is, you have to go on a journey of inner discovery. Like mm -hmm. if, if you don't go on that journey of inner discovery, you're always going to be trapped into the mind. And once you stay in the confines of the mind, unless you expand it, unless you continuously expand the, con the, the confines of the mind, you're never going to be able to expand it big enough to get you to a point where you say, hey, I feel my soul and spirit in this too. Mm. But you've got to stay in the mind, but actually be in the body. Yeah. It's interesting. It, it does take a while to cultivate and get there. But it's true. Once you get there, nothing, nothing affects you anymore. That's really so powerful, Imran. That's actually one of the things that I didn't know at the time was helping me uncover my spiritual side was by asking that question, who do I want to be? Because yeah. I'm very practical. So when people would say to me, or, you know, relax or, you know, let go of your limits or be yourself. I'm like, who am I? Mm. Like you're mm. telling me to be myself, but I don't know who that is, especially yeah. when I went through my, my mental illnesses and so on. So it's really interesting that you mentioned the concept of being now, obviously you clearly have such an inspiring story and we've touched on just a tiny mm. bit of it uh, <laughs> today already. And it's been fascinating to see you develop and also be mentored by some of the greats and being inspired by some of the greats. So Imran, what's next for you now? Well, I think I've got to a point in my life where I've had, um, there's been so many challenges along the way. And this story had to happen for a reason. That journey that we spoke about, that mm -hmm. had to happen for a reason. So what that was the, the reason for all of this today. And I've got to a point where I've been mentored by particular people, some good, some not so good, right? Some clearly uh, with different intentions, but some really, really, you know, world-class leading mentors that actually are making a difference in people's lives, not pretending to, but actually doing it. You know, I've just come back off, a four-day event with Tony and um, being a trainer for him, I have to lead a number of different rooms and I was with him in December. And what I find with Tony, and I see this every single time, is that the, he over-delivers on value always and he's taught me that. 
you know, things I've picked up from him and these mentors over deliver on value. When I deliver my course, and I told you about this, I go 12, 13 hours, right? 14 hours sometimes because I have learned from the, I've unconsciously learned from the greats. They do it. How can I not do it? They go way in ab above and beyond. How can I not? They provide care at a very different level. How can I not? They cut the bullshit. How can I not? Right? So it really is <clears throat> learning the lessons from them, looking at my past, learning the lessons of the past and saying, well, what do I hear? What am I here for? And the truth has come, been around me for a number of years and it's more, I've stepped into it more recently. The truth of who I am, the truth of what I can deliver. So now the journey for me is right, right. I have this great set of tools and this is something called emotional change therapy. This is something I created last year, but this is something that's been in the creation for a very, very long time. I could probably say 20, 30 odd years because as growing up, I wanted to help as many people as I could. I was 13, 14 myself and I was coaching other people and trying to be better mm. because I wore that mask. So I felt I had to, you know, help them uh, in the situations they were in. As I got older, I was like, okay, I'm continuously coaching people, teaching people, helping people. So what is my path? What is my journey? Something keeps calling me. Even when I go and take a normal job and get away from coaching, I'm consistently coaching. So of course, my purpose is this. I'm passionate about this stuff. Mm -hmm. I care about people. So what is my path? Well, the people that need personal development the most are probably the ones that can't even afford it. And this is the challenge. They first have to wake up to it, number one. And secondly, they have to have the funds to get there. So the limitations of the mind stop them from even getting to a place where they can create change. So what we did was recently, we had a breakthrough event. And I said to people that, hey, listen, it's £39 for the breakthrough event, right? And that £39 you're going to pay, that the ticket money will go to someone to sit on emotional change therapy for free. And it has already. We had a, we had a, a guy who was addicted to heroin in the audience. And he has lost his mum in the last six months, lost his wife and lost his family, he feels. And I could see, I could, you know, the whole people in the audience could see it, that another six months of this road, he may not even exist any longer. And I said to him at that point, right, okay, you need to come. So he's coming to Emotional Change Therapy in April. He's been gifted by the community because the money they paid is going towards his fund of getting him there. Now, that's one person that we're going to transform in five days, right? And then how many people have already been transformed? I cannot believe the effects of transformation that are coming out because we've created a technology that is based on NLP, but it goes beyond NLP because it gets to the heart of the problem. And also a lot of these techniques now are actually introducing the heart space by actually elevating you to a position and, and a place you've never been before. And this is tapping into the soul. So this is taking you to a level of actual change that you've never experienced before, a level of consciousness and vibration that you've never actually vibrated at before or elevated yourself to before. So it's the embodiment of all of these tools, but it's the community of emotional change therapy that makes a difference as well. Because I give you the tools, but I have to take you, I'll do a demonstration in an audience. And these can be demonstrations based upon people's greatest fears, greatest problems, greatest wounds and traumas. Bring them to the front. We'll go through this. Now, this is an intervention for maybe an hour, hour and a half. It could be two hours. Who knows? Depending on the depth of the problem. But the greatest thing is that the, the learning and lessons that the, the, the room takes from it is absolutely phenomenal. Like they change just watch, witnessing someone else change. And that's the beauty of it. Their soul wakes up just to witness someone else's change take place and someone else's soul wake up. They become alive because they realize that there's a part of them in that problem too. Wow. 
And now they've found a solution to their problem based on someone else coming up in the audience. And it is absolutely fascinating. I can't even believe the results that we're getting because I am, I know this stuff works. I believe in it. I know I've known it all my life, but when they're coming to me and telling me, Imran, thank you. You've changed my, you've done this. And I'm like, Hey, hey, hey listen, I just showed you the way. And there's a little bit of self worthiness. We're talking about here that, <laughs> that I knew to accept too. Right. I'm just telling you this process, but no, it's the way I think it's, it's the space we create in the room. It's a safe container. It's the love. It's the support. It's the compassion. It's the empathy. It's the integrity of doing it for the right reasons. It's the sacredness behind each and every one of these tools. These tools aren't there for people to go out there and make a shit ton of money. No. Mm -hmm. These tools are there to, for people to go and make a shit ton of difference. Impact. Wow. Yes. So it's about leadership, impact, and emotional change. And if we can do this, we get people to where they should have been in the first place. And now what we're witnessing is people three months after taking the course are now bringing this stuff in their workplace. And they're now witnessing the power they have as individuals and the power they have as leaders. Mm. And it's phenomenal. It really is. It's changed the trajectory for me. It's changed the path for me because truly and honestly, I don't care anymore. I don't care about other people out there, other therapies, other people telling me certain things I can and can't do. That time's gone, right? Mm. People that are, that are consistently there trying to get the next certificate that comes out but not embody what they've already learned the time's gone and i haven't got time people don't have time to waste nor do i mm. if you're going to come to me you come to me for five days you don't need to learn anything else after that you walk away nor do i want to keep you dependent with me mm. i want to cut off that possibility so you can go and lead your life yes stay with me we can create some great things together if you came along to the academy but you don't have to the mm. intention behind this is for you to come for you to heal for you to change and if you want to step into being that leader that you are, then there's the next step. Wow. That's it. And I can feel your passion and your energy when you talk about it because I've I've been part of this journey with mm. you for what feels like quite a few years, actually. Yeah, yeah. And it's been amazing to see you talk so passionately about it now. So what we'll do for anyone that's watching this or listening, I'll pop the links in the description. Cool. So if you guys want to tune in and have a look, have a rummage through it, go through some yeah. of Imran's uh, recordings and also the sessions. And of course, join you on the Breakthrough Day. It will... I'm yes. sure be fascinating. Now, Imran, it's been amazing talking to you. We're almost out of time. I feel like I could talk to you for hours. One of the things we love to do on the show is obviously look at your inspiring story, but also find out who else is inspiring you now? Who are you most inspired by as you're sat here right now? I think um, one of my main inspirations now is uh, Dr. Gabe Mate. And um, again, one of the reasons why is because the elements of trauma that he's able to deal with. Mm. And it's really looking at trauma from a completely different perspective because we all have trauma in some way, shape or form and it presents itself in different ways. But Dr. Gabo Mate, his way of dealing with trauma, and I've learned so much from him, um, is fascinating, but it's so, so human. It really is. It's that human element of what it is. Unfortunately, most people don't want to go and see someone because they feel like they're seeing someone, a clinician, and it doesn't feel like seeing a human being. The difference when it comes to breakthrough or NLP or emotional change therapy when it comes to me is they're coming to see another human, and that human is going to put them through the process. Mm. So I love dealing with humans um, at the level of human beings that they are. And again, Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins will never, ever stop being a mentor for me and a guide for me because every time I'm with him, I, I find new levels. Every time I'm around him, I find new levels. Every time he elevates me, I find new levels. So we are a huge family that are making impact in the world. And we're doing it at such a larger scale. So I have so many great, great mentors now 
Uh, and there's mentors I haven't even mentioned yet, but I have so many great, great mentors now that are in line with the path that I'm going down, not um, pulling me towards a path that I'm not actually veering towards or not even designed for or born to do. Mm. So I'm, I'm, I'm just grateful that I have these beautiful people around me that are actually walking the path that I can learn from. And I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. This is what I'm doing. Tony Robbins is a giant. I'm standing on his shoulders. Dr. Gabo Mate, I'm standing on his shoulders. Mm-hmm. Even Jordan Peterson, I'm standing on his shoulders. John Grinder, I'm standing, I'm standing on the shoulders of these great giants. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, fine, you're leading the way, right? But I'm walking with you. That's beautiful. Yeah. And that, that's why I find it so inspiring to hear from inspiring people like you who have been inspired by others as well because I'm also a believer that inspiration is like a ripple effect Mm. and you talked about your community your family so we have a tradition on the show where at the end of every episode you get to call out shout out should we say a potential person that you believe has an inspiring story to come on and actually tell us a story so we can be inspired too so who pops to mind okay I would in terms of inspiring story and I really love him for his story um, and you know him as well Mr. Haj Ghali Right. Um, and it's his story that that pops to mind and how much his story has helped him today. Mm-hmm. So that he pops to mind when it comes to story. And and I love the guy. Otherwise, I wouldn't have uh, put, put him towards your way Fantastic. because of everything he is. It's because of the journey that he's had to yeah. um, endure. Well, Haj was already on the list. So there you guys, you have heard it straight from Imran. Haj Gali, this is your shout out. Love that. Thank you so much. Now, Imran, we have run out of time. It's been amazing talking to you. And thank you so much for being here on the show and being so vulnerable about your experience and also your learnings. It's been amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you guys for tuning in as always. If you are watching for the first time, don't forget to subscribe to the show. And we look forward to seeing you next week with our next inspiring guest. (laughs) 